Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Looks so wonderful tonight. Man, I mean that. Won't you please be seated? Thank you. God is good, man. Jeez, I just can't get over his goodness. It's truly amazing. Thankful that he found me. Uh, this word has been burning in my spirit. And uh, I'm just ready for what the Lord wants to do. I think, uh, I think about the gathering of the church, right? I think about the priority in which you place it in your heart. In reality, it, listen, I don't want to sound too legalistic or anything like that. We are glad, as a church, we're glad you're here. I, I mean, I'm absolutely so glad that you chose to be here on a midweek service other than celebrating Valentine's Day. Let's go a little deeper. That's shallow surface level. You have placed it a priority and a commitment in your life, in your marriage, as a husband, as a wife, to come into the house of God despite what the holiday is. That to me, that right there, that is an offering to God. And I, and I, and I, begin, to think, I begin to think about the priority in which we place in coming to church. And I'm so glad that when we come, it's very meaningful. There's never not purpose when you come into the house of God. It, what is the word of God? It says, it says, do not forsake the gathering of one another as, as some are in the habit of doing, but to encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. I believe that day's coming. I don't know when. I feel like it's breathing on the back of my neck sometimes. I feel like Jesus has his hand on the, on the doorknob waiting for the Father to say, okay, go. I feel like that sometimes. And so w- when I think about the gathering, man, I'm just so thankful. We are, we're, we're here. We're fulfilling the word of God by meeting. And so this word here has been burning in my heart. Uh, a couple people have, I've, I've already shared this with with my connect group. Uh, they get most of my messages first, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, and th- this here has been burning in my heart. And I feel and I really I feel like I haven't been released from it. And I'm hoping maybe today after sharing it with you, I am. Is that my heart is burdened. I carry I carry this weight on the way that disciples are being made in the church today. I carry this weight in which, which, which the way Christians begin to navigate their walk with God. And, and I believe that we fall into this trap. And this trap that I believe that we fall into is, is this right here. Is we're more concerned with what God wants for us rather than what God wants from us. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to know what God wants for you, right? But when that supersedes what God wants from us, we begin to create a God that serves us. We're consumed with the next blessing. We're consumed and we treat church messages like the next insulin shot. We make ministry an idol and the platform a goal. We make validation, security, and promotion. It becomes necessary for us to feel accomplished. This is what happens with a lot of young young believers, a lot of young people in the faith, a lot of ambitious people. Can I give you a friendly reminder that we were created for God's will, not our own. We were created for his plans and not ours. But what happens is we fall in love with the things of God, but we don't really necessarily fall in love with God. Our culture that we live in, in the tolerances of the American church, we have become just like Saul. The people 
of, of the, the, Isra the Israelites, they cried out for a king. Give us a king. We look at all these other nations, they have one we don't because God wasn't good enough. So what does God do? He's, he gives them a king anyway. And we, we become just like Saul. What Saul did was he did a little bit of what God wanted, but he did a little bit of what he wanted. Not knowing, understand this. Do we not understand that those are grounds for God to strip away the anointing? Those right there are grounds uh, for, for God to have his, just to walk away from us. I've seen churches, you've probably have too. I've seen ministers, you've probably had too. On what some would consider successful, right? The mega churches, the, the, the online ministries, the, the people consider these successful. I've seen many of those successful without the anointing. Amazing church, it's amazing what churches could accomplish without the Holy Spirit. But listen, do not be deceived. Those very people, they're always chasing the next big thing. It'll leave them empty over and over. I'm not stressing about that. Understand this, that while false teachers, false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing, we see that all over the New Testament, right? While the presence of false teachers is a threat to biblical Christianity, the absence of them is a threat to biblical accuracy, meaning it is inevitable that they are here. It is inevitable that they come. It is inevitable that they have influence and that they speak. They fill our church pulpits around the world every Sunday. They flood your social medias. They are greedy, malevolent, greedy. They're just predators who target the innocent. But make no mistake, God will not be mocked and he will have his justice. So listen, bear with me on today's message. What you hear is exactly what you're going to get. I, I, I want you to have grace for me. I want you to have grace for yourself. And, and, and maybe you're just sitting here and your flesh is already wrestling with you. Maybe even some of you have like this righteous indignation. Something inside of you is boiling up already. Listen, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And we just want to surrender and yield to what he wants to say. Not my own opinion, not my own preferences, not my own opinions, but the word of God. Amen. So will you bow your head, close your eyes as we pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we are surrendered to your will. God, I humble myself before you and amongst my brothers and sisters, and I pray that you would have your way. Begin to soften our hearts here and now. And will you begin to do a work, Father, on what you long to do for a while, Jesus, in our hearts, in our minds. And we just thank you, Father, for your good. In your mighty, precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Daisy. Uh, before we get into uh, the word of God, I, I want to honor our pastors. Uh, Pastor Omar and his dear wife, Sister Letty. We love them. We honor them. Uh, they're away uh, on, on visiting their family and also visiting our REACH churches in, uh, in Texas. We love them. You guys love your pastors. Man, I, I love them. I find my prayer for them, and maybe you want something to pray for your pastors, is pray, uh, pray that they find joy in what God is doing, that they find joy in the fruits of their labor. I think that's so powerful, and I pray that they continue uh, to, to not grow weary in doing good because we're just so thankful for their obedience. I want to honor the rest of the pastoral team, uh, my, 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 my pastors, God's armor bearers, uh, my friends, and it's just uh, truly a pleasure to, to be here. I say it all the time. It is the greatest honor that I have other than being a father and a husband is to, uh, is to be an ordained minister of the gospel and be allowed this opportunity and privilege, man. It's so, it's so great. I want to wish uh, my wife and my daughter happy Valentine's Valentine's Day. I love them. Yeah. Actually, both of my daughters now. The other one has no idea. She, she don't care. But 
uh, Mila woke up, she's six years old, and she lives for this stuff, man. She, I mean, February 1st, she started seeing hearts everywhere and at the stores and talked about it every single day. So when she woke up a little earlier today to receive her flowers and her balloon and her candy, she, she was all over it. So, and you get your wife, you know, flowers and Starbucks like that. <laughs> Completely two different worlds. So, uh, but right on. You guys ready for God's word? Um, I'm going to read out of, uh, today I'm going to read out of, uh, where did it go? You know what? I copied it. Let's see if I could copy and paste it. I deleted it on accident, but we can put it up on the screen. I'm going to read from there. I'm going to give you some context uh, before. Uh, Jesus is now full-fledged ministry. He's, he chose his disciples. He gave them all the parables. Even now he had told them that, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. They're going to take me up and they're going to put me on the cross. He's done crazy miracles. He's already raised people from the dead. Um, and he's now building a reputation. People are hearing not only in, in, in the area, but some parts of the world, they're hearing about who Jesus is. They're starting to see, and even if you were lucky enough to witness some of the things he's done, you hear word to mouth, and my goodness, look what's happening. Is this possibly Jesus Christ, the Messiah? Is he the, the, the anointed one sent? Um, and so this is what's happening, and now Jesus is doing ministry, and on his way to Jerusalem, he meets three men on, his, on, on the road there. I want to take, take an account uh, of, of these, these three things, uh, these three conversations, and uh, I think they're pretty important. Forgive me for reading on the screen. Here we go. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you and go proclaim the kingdom of God. Next verse, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Is Jesus talking these people out of following him? Like, I, I begin to struggle with, with what's, what's said on the surface level without actually studying. Is Christ essentially saying, don't waste my time? These people that are receiving the invitation, they heard about the rumors. They believe. They believe the rumors. Maybe they've even seen them. And so what's happening here is these people are committing to the truth. They're committing to something that they believe is true. But listen what's happening. The reason why they're rejected is because they commit to the truth without a relationship. They believe in him, but they don't really know him. And when we, when we as believers, when, when, uh, when we believe in Jesus without relationship, we fall short of who he calls us to be. We fall short in how he calls us to act, on what to believe. And so what happens is we commit to a thing rather than a person. We commit to a religion. We commit to an organization. We commit to changing our schedule to come to services. We commit to even serving, and we commit to all of these things without committing to the person. So we're not asking to, what Jesus is saying is like, you know, don't come, and we're not just asking you to come and bow your heads, close your eyes. Don't just say a prayer. We're not asking you just to read the Bible or to go to church to give a tithe while we go on with our lives. But are, what's really happening is, are we going to follow Jesus with all of our lives, no matter where it leads us? what it's going to cost us, what's going to happen with our families, 
what's going to happen with our churches and our religious orders that we have. I believe in order to answer the central question, are you willing to follow Christ with all of your life? We'll be able to answer that as we look, in, as we look at the conversation with these three men. The first man. First man in the story is eager. He says, I will follow wherever you go. In history books, uh, what, what, it, what is proven to be true, um, what is proven to be true outside of, of the Bible, this is, uh, you know, history that goes on in other books. These, this, the first man, he was a teacher of the law. And what happens is it's customary for men like these to attach themselves to another teacher in order to promote themselves in society. It's almost like a mentor. It's almost like an apprenticeship. And so by this time, Jesus was pretty popular with the people, and, and it would seem like he was a perfect candidate to help, your, to help yourself get to where you got to go. And so Jesus replies, he says, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, if this man follows Jesus, then he can expect homelessness. Now, do you have to be homeless to be a Christian? Absolutely not. But what Christ is making clear to the man and to us is that Christianity is not a path to more comforts, to a higher status. Listen to me. It's not even a path to greater ease in the world. I don't care what we hear week in and week out. I don't care what your, your favorite preacher says. Is Christianity is not a path to greater ease in the world. The road Jesus walked on is not paved by self-advancement or ambition or selfish motives. Listen, from the beginning to the end, instead, it starts with a demand for self-denial. From the first step of your journey to the last. From the moment of salvation to the end of glory. Self-denial. Jesus out route, he, he goes to tell the other disciples earlier in the very same chapter. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Did you know that choosing the cross over culture, choosing the cross over our own ambitions is a requirement for following Christ? The cross over comfort, the cross over confusion, the cross over what is socially acceptable even in our own Christian bubbles. Listen, this message here, I am convinced, I am convinced from the bottom of my heart that this message is in dire need for every believer in our culture to hear today. The days, listen, the days are over when, when church going is just a good suggestion rather than a priority in your walk. The day should be over when it's acceptable to follow Christ every other day outside other than going to church. The days are over when we choose online services rather than coming into the house of God. Here, I believe the days are that we should hold fast to the gospel, actually believing it, actually putting it into practice. This means risking your reputation, sacrificing your social status, disagreeing with your, your closest friends and family members, jeopardizing your economic security and earthly stability, giving away your possessions when it's necessary, leaving behind the accolades of the world, and depending on where and how God leads you, potentially losing your life. But we're not ready for that. Is it necessary to prepare you for it? No, this is a free country for now. What are we concerned with? We're concerned with our Instagrams getting shadow banned because we're preaching the truth? We're concerned with our YouTube channels get, getting taken down because we oppose what? And these are the things to us that are persecution. But, but what happens when God calls you to some, to some country that's never heard of before? It is told that there are 6,000 people groups that have yet to hear the gospel. Not 6,000 nations, not 6,000 ethnicities, 6,000 people groups. These are all different kinds. 
first class. Third world. First world, third world. Rich, poor. English, non-English. It doesn't matter. They had a Bible whether or not they've even heard of the gospel. 6,000 people groups. It goes on and on and on. I've only named five. Listen, for every man that God saved in the lion's den, thousands more have been destroyed by wild beasts. For every believer that God had saved from the fiery furnace, thousands more have been burned at the stake. For every preacher that has taken the stage, thousands more wait their turn and they may never get it. For every worship leader that has led God's people in a time of adoration, praise, and worship, thousands more dream about the day of taking the stage, but it may never come. And this is where we begin to distort the idea of being more concerned with what God wants for us rather than what God wants from us. And when you attach that to God has a plan for you, we become all distorted. We have no idea what that means. You know what that means in Christianity today? Is God has many opportunities for you. He has many followers for you. He has much adoration and opportunity and fame for you. You want to know what that really means? That God has a plan for you? He's called you to be a light in the darkness. He's called you to go and to preach his word in your family, at your workplace, and even in your own church. I've had a, I had a conversation with a young man who recently walked into our church and into my life. Um, simple conversation. Uh, one of the elders is praying with him at the altar. And the elder, before he walks away from him, he tells him, he says, the call of God is on your life. And I believed it. I do. The call of God is on your life. The elder walks away and the, the young man, he says, he says, I've heard that my whole life. I was like, wow. And I believe it. And I asked him, I said, what do you believe the call of God is for your life? He goes on to share some context about, uh, you know, a little bit about his life and about his family. And he goes on to share how his family's broken right now. And he said, I believe God right now is calling me to be the peacemaker and the barrier to bridge my families. Listen, that right there brought so much inspiration to my life. He didn't tell me, oh, God's called me to be a preacher. God's called me to be a pastor. God's called me to do all of these things, which are great. God has called him to be a difference right now in the world around him. Not to make a difference around the world, but to make a difference with the world around him. We need more people to know that the first priority are those around you. We glamorize this here. We glamorize the microphone. We glamorize preaching. We glamorize how much more people you speak in front of means you're more accomplished. We lost it. We need more people to understand that the greatest ministry that God can give us is first following him, second loving your wife, then raising your children, then just being faithful right where he's called you to be. <laughs> ministry is great. Don't get me wrong. I love it. I, this is, this is, man, I'm so thankful to be here. But if I neglected everything else that God has called me to do, what good would I do being up here, an empty vessel? You want to be a prophet? How about you be a prophet of your home? You want to be a preacher? How about you raise up your sons and daughters and speak life into them and your wife? You want to teach? Let the word flow, not just from your tongue, but your life. How many of us are completely satisfied with obedience to God when it doesn't benefit us at all? When it doesn't advance us in our social status? When it's all labor and no play? Jesus promised us in John 15, 20. 
He says this. He says, a servant is not greater than his master. He said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. It's not possible to confess gospel convictions about marriage and sexuality without being criticized, without maybe being passed over for a promotion at the workplace, maybe even fired altogether. It's not possible to profess gospel truth and remain popular among all people. You know, it, it, I, uh, I'm not private on Instagram. It's just never been a thing for me. And uh, I got into this position at work that I'm afraid to lose because I don't deserve it. I kind of schemed and lied my way into it, uh, God's favor. And, uh, and I post some pretty, you know, I post things probably controversial to, you know, the world. And I'm just thinking like, dang, if my boss seen this or one of the higher ups, they'll probably get fired or, you know, because they, they use that against you now. They don't need your references. They just go on your, so, they just go on your social media accounts. Um, so they're, they're the, there's these things that naturally they creep, they creep into people's minds. It, it's not possible to, to, to do this, to confess the truth while being liked by everyone. Like, you know, Paul says, Paul says the best in Galatians 1.10, am I now seeking approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. No one can ultimately serve God and man. Ask yourself this, how the world responded to Jesus. Now, there's different answers, but ultimately the answer you come to is a cruel, bloody cross. Would it not be foolishness then for followers to accept the same type of treatment the more serious our church is to become about engaging our culture with the gospel, the more steadfast we're going to need to hold on to biblical truth. And the more sacrificially we're going to need to let go of our personal preferences. We need to stop being tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and by the deceitful schemes of man. You know, maybe, maybe you believe this, maybe you don't, but church members and their pastors, they're often surrounded by the dazzling temptations to cave into uh, the changing ties of cultural opinion. We've seen it. We, 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 see, the church, we see the churches with the, with the rainbow flags on their lawns. We see the churches accepting of any type of lifestyle. We constantly see and hear prominent leaders leaving behind timeless biblical truths in the name of love for their neighbor. How is it loving to lie to your neighbors? Twisting the truth to fit their liking. How is it loving to not call people to repentance? Giving everyone a false sense of security. Thinking that they're doing God's will by somehow just doing whatever that they want to do. This ultimately will lead people and the ministers further away from God. So I ask you, are you going to choose what's comfortable? Are you going to choose what's easy for culture? Or are you going to choose the cross? And that leads us to the next encounter that Jesus had with, the, with another man. The second man, Jesus initiates the conversation. And he says in Luke 9, he, says, he tells him, follow me. And the man responds, he says, Lord, first, let me go bury my father. All this man wanted to do was bury his dad. That's it. It was actually um, expected of him to do this. If he didn't, he would bring shame to his father and to his household. A proper funeral is necessary in that culture, and, and, and even today. And yet Jesus replied to his point. He says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as you, as you go, proclaim the kingdom of God. I can't imagine hearing these words. You can't go to your father's funeral. Jesus is not saying that going to funerals is wrong. 
This is what he's ultimately saying. He's saying, he's saying that the kingdom of God will not take second place to anyone or anything. Do you understand what happens when you accept the call of God on your life? I'm sorry, when you accept salvation and say, I'm going to choose Jesus Christ over anything else, that is an immediate abandonment to an urgent mission. We have physical needs. I understand that. We have emotional needs and spiritual needs. I understand that. But listen, if we are not careful, we run the risk of ignoring people's most pressing needs. That need is not for water. It's not for food. It's not for family. It's not for freedom. It's not for safety or equality. There are more pressing needs in a better marriage. We care about your marriage. We believe in it. There are more pressing needs in healing in the body, although we believe God is a miracle-working God. There are more pressing needs in freedom from bondage and even deliverance. As urgent as these things are for men, women, and children all around the world, they are surpassed by an urgency much greater. There is a need much more urgent in the world today, and that is a need for the gospel. I wonder what we're doing when we're not preaching the gospel. We need the gospel more now than ever before. Jesus knew that as, a gr as great as people's earthly needs were, their eternal need was far more greater. He showed it when a paralytic man was, was, was brought to him on a mat. And he heals him. He says, pick up your mat, go and sin no more. But then he, Jesus tells him, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. What Jesus did is he used this as an opportunity to teach the paralyzed man and the people around him that the ultimate priority of Jesus' coming, the ultimate priority of his coming was not to relieve suffering, although that was important and it was needed. His ultimate priority to coming to the world was to sever the root of all suffering, which is sin. Christ is not callous toward our earthly needs. He cares about the birds in the air. He's going to care more about his children. But he is more passionate about your eternal needs. This is the very reason why he came to reconcile people to God. This is the very reason why those that accept him as Lord and as Savior are saved by his grace. Their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. He came not just to give the poor drinking water for their bodies. He came that people would have water for their souls. He didn't come just to give orphans and widows family now. He came so that they would have a family forever. We cannot, we must not stay silent about the gospel. <laughs> gospel possession requires gospel proclamation. Don't tell me that you love me if you don't tell me the truth. Don't insult me by beating around the bush. Don't prey on me because you think I'm innocent. Tell me the truth. Tell me that I'm wrong. Tell me that I need a savior because he didn't come to save us from circumstances. He came to save us because our soul needs it. All we do is meet people's physical needs. If that's all we do, we're ignoring their spiritual ones. We will miss the key point. And so often this is what we settle for. We settle for it all across America. We settle for it week in, week out with our sermons. Why? Because it's easy and less costly for us. It may seem like it's more beneficial to get our churches full with telling them how much God wants to do in their life, how blessed they are, how highly favored they are, how if you give, God's going to give back to you. All of these things remain true, but what good is it if we never call people to repentance? 
What good is it if we never tell them that you're broken and that without the Lord, without repentance, without the blood of Jesus Christ, you're doomed. So we can preach the better life. I'm living it. I'm blessed. It's been a while that I had to call off a work that gives me money because I had no gas. I've been there. What good is it that the Lord has brought me all to all of these places I, and I acknowledge that he's done all of these things. But inside I'm withering away. I'm dead inside. What good is it? For people to have the gospel, for each and every one of us to have the gospel and to do nothing about it. I'm gonna say something crazy, you ready? That is the greatest injustice the world will ever know. I understand how evil this world is. I understand how slavery works. I understand how sex trafficking and, and, and kidnap, I know how all of that stuff works. We counter it with the truth, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we don't, we are doing, the, we are doing God's people a great disservice. The gospel compels us to counter culture. It doesn't ask us to be quiet about it. Regardless of the cost or risk to our lives or our families or our future plans or our possessions, for the sake of one reward, the proclamation of the greatest news is in order to meet the people's greatest needs. They need a savior. The last man in Luke 9, he approaches Jesus and he says, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those at my home. I had to spend a little extra time on this one because it didn't quite, like, I, I got it, but it, it didn't sit inside of me. It didn't feel good. I wanted to know it. Jesus responds to the man, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Essentially, this is what Jesus is saying. You have to keep your affection, your attention, solely fixed on him and the path that he's called you to. It seems that Jesus knew something about this man that, that we obviously didn't, that he didn't know himself. I'm gonna try to explain this the best that I can. If the man went back home to his family, back to what he knew, back to what was comfortable, back to, back to literally ease and comfort, it probably would have talked him out of following Jesus. How many times have we came to this altar? How many times have maybe you were in, your, maybe you were in the secret place and you were done with your sin? I'm done talking that way. I'm done responding this way. I'm done speaking like that. I'm done going to that sin. I'm done with it. And within the hour after church, we're talking to the person a certain way. We're, 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 back, to, we're back to doing the same thing we just vowed not to do. Right? In, in the same way, that's what's happening. Is, is I'm going to follow you. And Jesus tells him that nobody put, who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's not uncommon for, for the lure of family or circumstances or love or, 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 or faithless people to, to be deterred from their decision on, on, on their commitment to Jesus. Listen, when it comes to the call of God, especially on my life, I hesitate. I'm, th I'm thankful that I have yet to compromise. I'm thankful that I haven't compromised and I, I don't speak that over myself. But I know the schemes against the enemy. I'm not, ex I'm not exempt to them. I'm thankful that I haven't got to that place, but sometimes I hesitate. My, my, my flesh wants to fight my spirit. I mean, Sunday through, through today, 
I was locked in. Like you couldn't, you couldn't take my eyes off of Jesus. But the moment that I walked into this church, something came over me. It was the devil's last attempt to get me to, to what? Doubt myself? I was going to do it anyway. He's a sucker. I can't stand him. I'm, I'm, like, this, this is what the Lord has called, us, called, called me to do. And although I hesitate, and I'm always confident, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll gather my message and I'm like, dang, dude, I got to be behind Pastor Jacob. That ain't cool, man. Like, he, he, he kills it. And you, you see what happens when the carnal mind starts to think? You see what happens when you start to compare? Like, man, I should just be thankful. I'm just, I should just be thankful I'm ministering to, to God's people. Like, comparison is a thief of joy. So when I start to compare, guess what? The joy's gone. It, but, and listen, I'm not confident. Sometimes I'm paralyzed by the pressure of people around me. Like, it, it, it's tough. It's difficult sometimes. There are doubts that are within me. And before I know it, sometimes... Delayed disobedience becomes disobedience. Then I come back and I remember that at this very moment, as I share this word, there are hundreds of broken people among us. As I share these words, you are dying inside. You got church right. You got it down packed to a T. We're glad you're here. Like I said, man, we're glad you chose to come here uh, on Valentine's rather than anywhere else. Like, I, I... I get those things, but we're dying inside and, and wondering why things aren't getting better for you. You're wondering why religion isn't getting better for you, why sermon in, sermon out, they help you, but not for long. They're almost like crutches. Ultimately, while we contemplate the gospel, people are waiting for the truth. I don't care how much it rubs you wrong. It doesn't matter how much it makes you feel and how tight and tense you're sitting in your chair and how much you wish I communicated differently and how much you wished I talked about something else. Deep down in your spirit, your soul is dehydrated, wishing for the truth. So I ask you, let us not stay silent and allow fear of the culture to muzzle our faith. What great is it? What, what a great disservice it is for you to remain silent about the love of Christ. What a great disservice to God's people to not call them out of repentance. My purpose of putting all of these realities in front of us today is that we may see that there's a much greater need in our lives in the gospel. That only the gospel can help us, can heal us, can bring us to, to places that we've thought we'd never be in. So today I tell you that you don't have to ask yourself what the will of God is for your life. Don't be so consumed with that silly question. And I say it's silly because we've adopted it into this Christian culture of what is the will of God for my life? And if you don't know, then you're lost and you're scrambling and then you're just back in the streets. The word of God has made it so clear for you and I. He wants people to provide for the poor, to value the unborn. We don't believe in abortion. He wants you to care for orphans and widows, to rescue people from slavery, to defend marriage, marriage between a man and a woman. He's called you to wage war against sexual immorality in all of its forms. 
to love your neighbor as yourself, regardless of their ethnicity, to provide for refugees, to practice faith regardless of risk, to proclaim the gospel to all nations, to proclaim the gospel to the world around you. So I ask you to do these things, not out of sheer um, obligation, but to do these things with the unshakable conviction that God has put inside of you. If he's captured you with your love, then he is compelling you by his word to proclaim his kingdom. We have to know that the reward of following Christ is worth any risk to your life, to your family, to your future, your relationships, your reputation, your career, and your comfort in this world. I understand that following Jesus and committing all of your life to him will cost a lot. I get it. I know it does. I've seen it firsthand. Following Jesus will cost you everything, but not following him will cost you much more. The Holy Spirit's greatest desire, listen, the Holy Spirit, our greatest helper, the one that prays for you, the conviction that's inside of you right now, his greatest desire is to make you and I more like Jesus. So naturally, in our spirits, we should hate anything that conflicts with the work of the Holy Spirit. We talk about love a lot. I get it. I'm so thankful for the love of God. I wouldn't be here without the love of God. But what about hating sin? Like, I believe as believers that we need to come to a place to where we just, we hate sin. That when we look around the world, we hate it. When we look at the mass shooting that happened today in Kansas City, we should hate it. When we look at the disservice that is done to, to, to the people of God and the innocent being taken advantage of by weak, spineless preachers afraid to call people out of repentance, you should hate it. When I think about people's phones ringing in church, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the trauma that exists in your lives. The trauma that exists in your lives, the insecurity that you're led by, the insecurity that eats you up inside, the bad decisions that you make, the pain that we have to endure, the injustice that we see all around the world, we see it everywhere. Don't be mistaken, all of these things are because of sin. Your marriage, I believe in therapy. I believe that we need these things as people because we're so broken, but make no mistake, the condition of your marriage, if it's bad, is because of sin. The condition of your loved one that has fallen away, that is, that is an alcoholic, that is an addict, it's because of sin. The compromise that we see in the church is because of sin. The decisions you make outside of the will of God is because of sin. Make no mistake at all. Don't second guess it. Don't think twice about it. God will pour out his wrath because of our unrepented hearts. On the behalf of believers, he already punished Jesus for it. Son, 
thank you for creating everything with me. From the beginning of time, you have stood right next to me. You've helped me create the heavens and the earth. You've helped me create a beautiful place. You've helped me create Adam and Eve. You were there with me. You were there with me from the beginning. But listen, it is my will that you go down to earth and you will be the ultimate sacrifice for these people. And anyone who believes in you, anyone that accepts you as Lord and Savior, that commits their life to you and your teachings, they can join me in heaven. They can join us in heaven. You, you think about this. God punished Jesus for you and I. The punishment of rejecting that alone is not worth it. I pray and believe that you one day will come to terms and say, listen, I've been living life to my own accord. I've been following religion. I've been following a schedule. I've been following everything but the person. I've heard the rumors about him. I've seen the goodness of God. I've seen what he's doing in that family. I've seen the revival that we're in in this church. I see it. And we hear about these things. And he say, Lord, I will follow you. But what does Jesus say? He says, I got nowhere to lay my head. You can't, you can't put your hands at the plow and look back. Are you willing to follow Jesus at any cost? The beginning of your walk with God comes to self-denial. Romans chapter 7. I'm ending with this verse. Romans chapter 7 verse 24. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I find myself in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. I love that the Apostle Paul acknowledges exactly who he is. What a wretched man I am. I love you. I speak this way to you because I love you. What wretched people we are. Who can deliver us from this sin? Who can deliver us from this body? Who could deliver us from this culture? Who could deliver us against a great adversary that wants, you keep you, wants to keep you comfortable with your religion? Wants to keep you comfortable with your bare minimum? Wants to keep you comfortable with your shallow, surface-level Christianity? Who can deliver us? Only the Lord. And he wants to deliver you tonight. I understand the weight and the burden of what I'm, what I'm saying. This isn't easy for me. You don't know what I go through after these services. You ever want to reach out to me when I'm ministering? Don't reach out to me before. That's easy. Reach out to me after. This weight and this burden of, God, do they get it? I don't want to be a part of a church like that that doesn't call people out of repentance. I'm tired of hearing ministers, God has a plan for you, you're next in line, God's going to do so many things in your life, and they have yet to call people to repentance. There's a time and a purpose for those ministries. I believe it, yes. 
But we, the sick little lambs that we are in need of a shepherd, we eat that up and it's a false sense of security. You need to repent of your sins because if you don't, you're damned to go to hell. Not my words, his words. And as frail as my flesh is and my carnal mind is, the Spirit of God is inside of me and anointed me to proclaim his word. Will you accept it? Not from evangelist John Tahaji. Not from a man because I'm speaking loudly and maybe you're moved. No emotion at all. Will you commit your life to Jesus? Stop doing it your way. And listen, if you reject that message, I pray to God that you live to see another day. I pray to God the conviction of the Holy Spirit doesn't leave you, keeps speaking to you, keeps pulling on you. And guess what? There are other people in this church that will pray for you. You see, you understand now how important your relationship is to the unbelievers? You see somebody that comes in for the first time? How about you go introduce yourself and get their number? Not so you can check up on them and say, hey, you missed the next service. Just say, hey, listen, I, I believe God has a plan for you. And see what he does when you commit to him. All people, if you mind standing with me. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.